Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can call 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. James will be answering the phone. He just needs your first name and where you're calling from. So, uh, Mr. Kelly. Yes. Some maple trees are spectacular already. They're getting there, aren't they? I mean, I've seen some of the red maples fully colored. Have you really? Yes. I haven't noticed that. We've got ours in the backyard in the way back are starting to turn a little yellow. Right. Some of them. But I haven't noticed the red around here. That sounds nice. Yeah. It caught me by surprise. I mean, you know, I walk in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So this is South City. So I was completely shocked. They're on opposite sides of the street. So, I mean... From a distance, I thought, what in the world is that? And then yeah. I got, as I got closer, then I saw it was two red maples. And they're pretty bright then, huh? Yes. Wow, because it's been so dry I know. lately. I wonder how you know what kind of color we're going to get out of them this yeah, year. Yeah, there's probably not going to be much color off too many different things, that's yeah. for sure. Because it is really, really dry. I moved a hummingbird feeder yesterday, the, the bishop's hook, and uh, it was hard to put back in the ground. Right. Yeah. So. I think this month we've had one half inch of rain officially. Wow. Yeah. And normally we have probably a couple inches mm-hmm. worth. This so is... what is it, half hour once a week? <laughs> yes. Is that right? That's what Sue keeps telling me. Mike says it's a half hour once a week. Or put a dish so you make sure you get an inch of water into the ground. Oh, okay. There you go. Write that down, Sue. <laughs> 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 now, it's supposed to rain tomorrow night, so I don't know. I might... Mm-hmm. I might go ahead. I think I'll do it, though, because, you know, they say it's going to rain. It doesn't. Right. And you should you know? water if it's going to rain to soften the ground. So when the, it does yeah. rain, it penetrates and get, can get in the ground deeper. Kind of prime it. Because it's right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So if it's really hard, then it just kind of sits there or potentially mm-hmm. can run off. Oh. You know, good. that's why I work with you, Mike. <laughs> It's a lot easier than calling in. because you have to. (laughs) I hate that guy. (laughs) No, 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 no. Thanks, Brian. Saturday mornings, we get together and have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your landscape. What's going on in your specialty garden space? And uh, those houseplants, you better start looking at them pretty closely as far as uh, gnats in your soil. Those are fungus gnats. You can get rid of those. And... uh, Insects on the stems, the leaves, and everything else. So get them all cleaned up because in another couple of weeks, you better get them inside or there could be a frost. 
And uh, what is a potting mix, by the way? And how do you improve your soil? Should you be pruning and shearing this time of year? Ah, those bugs and diseases. What are those baggy-looking things that are hanging on my juniper? Hmm. I think they call them bagworms. Anyway, use the information that I share with you, and hopefully it'll help you orchestrate a decision that's going to make uh, your landscape even that much better. And this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home car or wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player today is James. He's producing. So, again, he answers the phone, just your first name and where you're calling from. He doesn't need to know anything else, like your, uh, uh, doesn't know where, no, anyway. Today, <laughs> I'm Mike Miller. I've been producing the Garden High. No, I don't produce it. I host it since 1994. And I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation if you like for me to do a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. Homepage will be my email address and phone number. Today, after the show, I'm headed to Belleville. And uh, that's where I can be reached. Not in Belleville, no, on my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. Well, let's get moving. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. The ground was carpeted with poplar tree leaves. Uh, planting beds included celosia, coneflowers, and so many other varieties of the sunflower family. It was a color explosion. This a historic building with a sign tells where I am today. It's Soulard's Farmer's Market, established in 1779, open year-round Wednesday through Saturday. There's everything in this market. It is, it's really kind of a neat place. Uh, you can stroll through easily. Now, if you're in the outside, you don't have to wear the mask. But if you go into the interior building, you do have to have a mask. So even though it's open air and everything else, it doesn't really matter. you got to have that mask on. So you can see the spice store, all kinds of tropical plants for sale, T-shirts, there's cut flowers. There's all kinds of trucks being unloaded with an array of everything who knows what. Cut flower-wise, everything from gladiolas to eucalyptus to, uh, to uh, roses. There's an artist setting up, and he actually does paintings, oil paintings, of people that come. I, I, I can't imagine him being able to do a painting completely. He probably starts it off, maybe, and then takes a picture and then finishes it off. I don't know exactly how he does it. But also, there's food to be that's going to be prepared right on the site, so you can eat there. There's pumpkins and gourds galore. Ah, the cool breeze adds to the wonderful flavor of Soulard Market. Surrounding the market is the playgrounds. There's two different ones. There's white pines. There's river birch. There's red-berried female holly. The historic pavilion is closed right now. Uh, there's benches and bike racks, and there's dog walkers all over the place. And uh, a group of people had just bought some coffee. They were headed outside to sit down on a bench and take it easy and have some nice bakery goods with this freshly brewed coffee. So... This is the Good, good Gardening Stroll at the Soulard Market. Great place to visit and have some fun. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. St. Louis's weather station, KMOX. Yes, folks, party on music. Let's head out to Defiance to Mark's yard for the first call of the day. Hi, Mark. Oh, good morning, Mike. Hi. I'm out here in uh, Defiance, Missouri, and it's raining acorns. <laughs> I'm not surprised. 
are they makes f- them so uh, so thick this year? Right. And are they actually full acorns, or are they ones that squirrels have already eaten and dropping all the pieces? Well, they're full acorns. They've been eating on the hickory nuts, and those are a lot of pieces come down. But the acorns are like they're whole acorns. And wow. It's raining. That's great. So I got a question about uh, zinnias. Okay. We've got like a, a white, fuzzy-looking spots on them. And they eventually turn brown, and it's like it's killing the plants. What is that? Well, it's probably well. It could be powdery mildew, but it's you know, it's some. It's probably some kind of foliar fungus. So the best thing you can do is it's too late this year to do anything. But next year, before you start to see it show up, because if you have it one year, well, first of all, make sure that when you get rid of the zinnias, that you don't just let them drop in the in the spot they're in. So in other words, cut them down, get them completely away, put them in a compost pile or something like that, or just you know get rid of them. And uh, then next year, when the zinnias come up, before you start to see any kind of fungus or any spotting on the foliage at all, uh, do an application of a, a very mild fungicide and see what happens. Okay. Now, would that be would that get onto the coneflowers also? Generally not. Usually, the things like that are kind of specific. Not necessarily, but uh, for the most part they are, especially when you're talking about coneflowers are being perennial, and then the zinnias are annual. So it's two different, kind of two different groups of plants. And I don't, you know, there's really rarely any kind of fungus on uh, the coneflowers at all. So some of my coneflowers, like the short ones, they still look green and the, they're flowered beautiful still. Right. The real tall ones, I mean, they they just turned black and I've already cut them down. Yeah, I have a taller variety myself, and I've already, you know, cut the stems off, and then I've cut the flower heads and just let them drop in the bed space. Right. So is it is it normal for those tall ones to turn all black also? Yeah, sure is. So there's nothing wrong with them. I just got some kind of uh, powdery mildew or something on the on the zinnias. Right, exactly. So uh, they're probably really thick. Air circulation has something to do with it. And you'd think, well, how can there be something like this when the humidity is so low? I mean, the humidity is kind of high, but there's not rainfall. And I guess when you're watering, you're, are you watering the leaves of the plants? Well, they're out and they're, they're kind of mixed in with the vegetable garden. And she goes out every day, well, pretty much every day, and, and waters the plants. I'd have to ask her if she's actually... Spraying those or not. Yeah, I would probably, you know, in the future, try to keep as much water off the foliage as you possibly can. And sometimes that'll, you know, that will help. But certain years when we have an abundance of rain, it's, it doesn't make any difference at all. Like lilacs get a powdery mildew every year, regardless of what you do to them. Oh. Okay. And so the fungicide works on. All, all the plants that get that kind of stuff. Pretty much. I mean, it's a really low-key fungicide. I'd say go to your favorite garden center and tell them what you've got and then let them recommend what product they have as opposed to me saying, get this product, and you go there and say, well, Mike Miller says to get this, and they say, well, we don't carry that. So it's better to let them let you know which is, you know, the best one that they have, you know, in stock. So just tell them what I've got, and they'll be able to, to select something right. that they have and... Would it would that be the same thing that you would use on like roses for black spot or something? Well, or? probably with roses you're going to need something a little bit stronger. Oh, okay. So there's different strengths. I absolutely. Oh, okay. Well, thank you very much. Um, so, what do you 
getting back to the acorns, why do you think some years the acorns are heavier than others? Well, it's just it's weather related. So, I mean, it's I mean, for anything to produce flowers, which they have to produce flowers to produce nuts or fruit, um, you know, they can't do it every year. So some years you're going to see spectacular amounts and other years. I mean, it's the same thing happens with fruit trees and everything else. So is it is it related to you know we had a pretty wet couple of months there I know it's dry now but we had a couple wet spots there would have that affected also No it probably cuz you know the, actually the buds and everything set you know for the flowers that produce the nuts are done the f- previous year before the rain of the springtime ever came around Oh oh wow I didn't know that Yeah well, thank you very much for all the information. Sure, my pleasure. All right, bye now. Let's go from Defiance now to Crestwood and see what's going on in Barb's yard. Hi, Barb. Hi, Mike. Thank you so much. Um, I have a, um, a redbud tree that just in the last month has just now covered with all kinds of little white spots through on every branch all over. And the tree is about... Um, 12 years old, maybe, or maybe a little bit more, but I, it's a favorite of mine. So I was wondering if there's any way I can take care of that or what that is or what I should do. Well, without, without seeing it, you know, if every branch is covered with it, I would say it's probably nothing to actually be overly concerned with, to be honest, because red buds are really tough. There's not too much, you know, from a fungus or fungus standpoint that impacts them. And hopefully it's, you know, it's not kind of some kind of insect. It's nothing that's mobile. It's not scale, I'm assuming. So I would take a magnifying glass out and look at one of these spots and see if it looks like it's just sort of a flat sort of fungus-related type thing or if it's just a lichen that's actually happening on it, which is a natural occurrence, or if it happens to be an insect. But my guess is if it happened this fast and it's every place, it's not going to be an insect. Oh, okay. Thank you. One more question. Sure. Um, is there anything uh, that we should do for azaleas going into the winter? Uh, basically, just make sure you've got a cup. You know, they're well watered. So hopefully you've been watering them during this dry spell because if the root system gets dehydrated, then that's going to be problematic. And then put uh, make sure they got a couple inches of mulch around them. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. I appreciate it. Yeah, my Bye. pleasure. And then with the azaleas in the springtime, sometime around the Ides of March, you start fertilizing with a fertilizer for acid-loving plants and fertilize them once a month. Oh, for how long? Once a month? How many months? Until June. Last feeding would be early June or late May. Around Probably Memorial Day would be the last time I'd feed. Okay. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And now let's go to Joe's yard, and he lives in Swansea. Hi, Joe. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I think you answered my question before I, I, you got on the air. I'm having someone come out, a lawn service. They're going to core aerate and slip seed my backyard, which is fairly shady. And I was wondering, I think you answered my question, Should I, uh, after they do that, should I top coat with uh, compost? Yeah, that would be the ideal circumstance. Now, and you realize that in a you know shady circumstance, even shady spot mixes are not going to be all that spectacular as far as lawn goes. 
Right. But And you said premium field and turf compost? Yeah, that's the one that St. Louis Composting has. Right, and we're right down the road from them. So, okay, nuts. so you answered my question uh, before I, you know, at the beginning of our program. So I appreciate it, and I thank you. Sure. My pleasure. Okay, thanks. Yep, and now let's go to O'Fallon, Missouri, and into Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Uh, good morning. Uh, I have some English ivy growing in the area, and it's doing very well. I would like to both cut it back to clean it up, and I'd like to transplant the cuttings in another area. So what I'm wondering, how do I prepare that before I plant that? Well, you're going to have to you know, add some organic matter to the area that you're going to move them to. But actually to take the cuttings and to root them and, and have success with them is going to be a very, very iffy process. So you could go ahead and try it, but I think you're probably better off, even though it's somewhat expensive, to just buy the ivy already rooted and from a nursery in flats as opposed to trying to, you know, because you're going to have to get rooting hormone. You're going to have to get a special potting mix, you know, to grow, to grow them in because you're not going to be able to just take the cuttings and stick them in the ground in the new location and expect them to survive because they will not. Okay. Well, I thought that uh, the ivy was a little more durable than that. Well, it's you could give it a try and, and call back and say you don't know what you're talking about, meaning me. But uh, you know, it's just it's you know, I'm I'm assuming this is an evergreen ivy. Uh, yes, it is. Right. So it's going to be very, very, very extremely difficult at best. Give it a try. You know, but. Uh, what I would do is probably have a you know stem cuttings of maybe like four or five inches, and with only about uh, probably at the very most maybe three leaves, then uh, make the cutting. If you're uh, you're not going to cut these with a mower, right? You're going to go out and hand cut. Yes. Okay. Yes. And make the cut at a forty-five degree angle because that exposes more of the cambium layer, and then dip that into the rooting hormone and then plant that into the ground space. And then put, you know, put about a, an inch or so of mulch around it to help keep it from uh, getting dehydrated and just kind of keep your fingers crossed. Okay. And as someone recently said, what have you got to lose, right? Exactly. Very good. Thank you. Yeah, you could have great success with it, but uh, it's going to be a really involved process. And then how far apart you put the cuttings, you put them six inches apart. If they, you know, get themselves established and everything else, uh, you're going to have a circumstance where it's going to take about two to three years for it to infill. If you put them nine inches apart, add another couple of years, 12 inches apart, add another couple of years. So it's going to be take a while before it's going to get thick. So Very good. Thank you. Yep. My pleasure. And now let's see. Let's go over to Chris's yard. Hi, Chris. Hello, Chris. Oh, Chris is in a van. A van? No, Vandalia. Oh, Vandalia. Oh. <laughs> um, Sorry. My cousin heard the demo company up in Chicago, and he's told me they got some jobs that someone asked him to come bury some Japanese knotweed. Do you know anything about that? Uh, I didn't quite understand what the question was. Japanese knotweed, what's the best way to get rid of that? Uh, that's, you know, it's, let's see, Japanese knotweed. I can't, I'm not exactly sure. Is that a broadleaf weed or is that a narrow-bladed one? 
I think it's narrow. It grows up straight, and the more you try and pull it out, the more shoots it sends up and make it angry. Yeah, so if it's a narrow blade, then use a grass killer. Gotcha. And probably this time of year, any of the herbicides start losing effectiveness when the temperatures start dropping. So uh, I would say almost wait until next spring, you know, until you start seeing it next year, and then go after it right then. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Well, sounds good. All right. Thanks for calling. And if anybody else, we've got all kinds of phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. News Radio 1120, KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. Yes, the voice of the Cardinals, and uh, also the voice of the Garden Hotline. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I'm going to keep reemphasizing this watering thing. And I don't know if you're listening uh, right before I, you know, the show started, but I was talking to Brian Kelly. And even though they're predicting rain, unless, heaven forbid, I hope it does rain, it would be good to get out there and get your landscape all of it, the lawn, the bed spaces and everything, watered ahead of time. So then the, when the rain comes down, it's going to go into the soil, not just run off because the ground is so hard. I mean, it is unbelievable. I routinely water my lawn and bed spaces. But still, I mean, in particular, this the area in between the sidewalk and the street, that's like a pizza oven because of the, you know, the cement and, you know, road services and everything else heat so much, heat up so much. I mean, I see, I water, tw- you know, twice a week. And uh, basically, I can see cracks in the soil, you know, during that period of time. So anyway, let's head out to Webster and go into Claire's yard. Hi, Claire. Hi. Um, how are you this morning? Very good. I ask probably the same question, or others do every year, about knockout roses when do I prune them now or in the spring? Uh, let the rose hips form because rose hips are those little round balls right. know, as a result of the flowers. And that actually helps the rose think, well, it's time for me to kind of go to sleep. So oh. then I would do this, you know, the pruning in the springtime myself. Oh, okay. And you cut pretty much down, right? Uh, I don't really like to ever cut back more than a half. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if that if you do more than that, it's a little bit extreme. I have a, a client of mine that I've known for you know twenty five years or so, and they cut last spring. They cut their knockout roses, which were probably like maybe six or seven feet high. They cut them down to about you know two feet, and now they did recover. But it's a long involved oh. process before they're going to get anything you know of any substantial size. So it's going to be three or four years before they're going to get back the you know to that oh. height. So. When you cut them back, doesn't necessarily mean that same season they're going to get as big as what they were previously. Mine are kind of like straggly, and I don't know should if I want to get them bushier. Do I? Is there a special way to trim them, trim those branches? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, because I haven't trimmed them very much. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it's just a history of it. So if they're, you know, if they're open and everything else, then it yeah. might be just the result. How old are they? Oh, I'd say five, six years. Oh, so they still should be really pretty vibrant. So oh, they are. They bloomed so much this year. Well, then, I mean, 
if they're a little bit, let's say, scragglier than what you prefer, if you got the, the nice flowering, then you kind yes. of got to live with it. <laughs> That's what I tell my children. They're saying, you don't trim them. You don't prune them enough. Okay. But they're blooming. That's right. what I like. And shrub roses really, are, they're not like hybrid teas or grandifloras or anything. They don't need routine pruning. Okay, good, good. Um, also, I don't see them now that it's a little bit cooler, but like a week ago, I had like, it seemed like an infestation of, I don't know if they were white flies, but there just were clouds of the gnat-like insects in my hydrangeas and bushes. But now that it's cooler, I did spray everything with, oh, Inshore, whatever. Uh-huh. Eight, it was. And it seems to work, but I want to bring some hibiscus in, and I don't want to bring the bugs along with them. Right. So is that a good spray to use yeah, on something like that? Probably I would spray them, you know, like the day before you're going to bring them in, just yeah. in case if you're worried about bringing any kind of insects inside. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. Now let's head from Webster up to Bridgeton and go into Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hi there. I've got a question about moles. Um, we've got a pretty consistent issue with moles that we've been trapping for a few years now, and we're happening to find someone new to uh, service our yard. And in my research, I've run across a company locally that says they do soil treatment. And I've always heard that trapping is the only effective for moles, but I wondered, do you know anything about soil treatments? Do you think there's any benefit to that? To be honest with you, you know, historically, I think the trapping is the only thing that works. If they're saying soil treatment, I don't know exactly what they're talking about. Are they talking about trying to do the grub control, which will get rid of the moles? Because that's not really going to work. So I don't know exactly what they're talking about, putting, you know, into the ground that would actually repel the moles. Yeah. Well, they don't explain it real well. They do say that it's not bait, but, you know, it's something that has to be watered down into the soil and supposedly repels the mold, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay. Mean, it, would, it would have to be pretty darn toxic, you know, to be able to repel the moles because even just, uh, you know, where the surface tunnels are, that's still, you know, below the surface, so whatever chemical this is, I, you know, maybe it works, but I, you know, I'm just not familiar with it. Sure. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Sure. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Now let's head over to Belleville and go into Bill's yard. Hi, Bill. Hello. Hi. Uh, yeah. Uh, I uh, have a problem with mushrooms growing in my lawn. Uh, they one of them started last year, and now I've got about four or five, and they're uh, they're about uh, half, uh, about six inches in, in width. Basically, mushrooms don't grow on anything that's alive, so they're probably growing off either you haven't dethashed your lawn for a while, or there's dead root systems underneath the ground because mushrooms only grow on dead stuff, so it doesn't really impact your lawn whatsoever. Okay. So, so you had a there was a tree with... that was there or something or close by and then the root systems, you know, went out and the tree's been removed or it could be a tree from a neighbor's yard 
And that's where they're growing off of. They're not really growing in the live lawn. And if you have thick thatch, but usually you're not going to get that that large of a mushroom growing on thatch. You're going to get the really small ones. Well, these are big. Yeah, so Um, you got dead root systems underneath the ground. Yeah, I I had a tree that uh, that was removed from that particular area. Right, so don't worry about it. There's nothing you can do. They're going to keep coming back until finally that root system totally implodes and there's nothing left for them to grow on. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. And let's see, do we need to... Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Oops, a little too quick. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head out to Fenton and go into Dale's yard. Hi, Dale. Hey, how you doing, sir? Very good. Hey, how can I get rid of uh, grass that's grown on my uh, rock driveway? Uh, basically, just use a you can use a grass killer or use Roundup. Well, can I use like salt water and soap or something? Or? Well, you could do that, I guess, or vinegar. You might try vinegar. You could try a couple different things. Are you opposed to just using the herbicides? I assume. Uh, yeah, I really don't like putting chemicals out. Yeah, but I mean, you're putting chemicals out if you whatever you put. But it's just going to be a different kind of chemical. You could try a couple different things. Try some vinegar. You could try, uh, you know, some of them are going to just fool around with different things you have in your house and see what's going to be effective. Okay. Will do. All right. Thank you, sir. Certainly. My pleasure. And now let's go to Murfreesboro, and that's where James lives. Hi, James. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Hi. for the past five years, I'm going to talk about mums. Past five years, I have about a 10-foot diameter circle of yellow mums, and they are spectacular. I prune them, I nip them back three or four times in the spring and summer. Right. And right now, there's just thousands of blooms ready to pop out. Perfect. And these are, I, they've been there for five years. It's almost like they are perennials instead of annuals. Every spring, just a little bit, about an inch high growth shows up. And from that inch high growth, I've got thousands and thousands of buds ready to explode. Right. Now, my my question is, am I, have I been just lucky <laughs> getting those every year? What can I do to ensure that I will get them back alive next spring? Can I put straw I don't cut back the uh, mums in the wintertime at all. Right. Can I put straw on top of the dead mums? I would say there's there's no reason to do that. And mums are perennials. That is, you know, I mean. Mums are perennials? Yes. The The only way they turn into annuals is when you buy them this time of year in a pot, they don't get their root systems established enough to make it through the wintertime. But mums are, you know, chrysanthemums are perennials. Well, I'll declare, it's, you're never too old to learn something. <laughs> so, just, you know, you're doing everything exactly right. I am assuming you're doing some fertilizing, too. Yes. Yes, I did. So, I, mean, I mean, 
I mean, they are, it's, it's spectacular. I just get so excited looking at them. It's just <laughs> crazy. Right. No, so you're, you're doing it exactly as you should. Okay, well, I'll save my straw for the tomato patch. Yes, definitely. Don't bury them in anything like that. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And let's go to Bridgeton and Glenna. Glenna, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you very much, Mike, for taking my call. Here. I have a oak tree that's between three and four foot thick. Uh, we've lived here 18 years. Uh, it's probably, well, my house is about years old. I really don't know how old the, the oak tree is. But it's got those balls on it, and it's doing insects have done it. And it looks really, really bad. And we have another one in the backyard that's probably twice as big as the one in the front yard. How do I know when it's time to take it down, or is there anything that we can do to take it better? Uh, basically, the galls are more of an aesthetic problem. The only time they become problematic is if on some branches you get so many galls, they can cause some spread, uh, some pressure cracking, and then moisture gets in there and rots, you know, causes some rot. But for the most part, the galls are more, again, aesthetic than they are problematic for the actual tree. Well, there's not really any leaves left. There's, I mean, they just, they're starting to look really, you know, like the, the limbs are looking black, not the regular brown color. And so we're just, you know, we're just kind of wondering about, you know, is it time to take it down? I mean, I just don't want to it. That's why we bought the house, because it had a established tree. And now we have these on it. You know, you can't do anything Yeah, the choice is yours. You're kind of uh, breaking up a little bit. But uh, if you, you know, if aesthetically it's causing you problems, then go ahead and if... If it's really not leafing out fully, then it may have some other problems. Like I said, it was created from the branches, the weight of the galls causing small cracks, and then you know getting heartwood rot or something along that line. But uh, the thing is, you take a tree down to get a tree that's going to be you know that large as a replacement. It's going to take quite a while. Right, right. All right. Thank you very much, Mike. Sure, have my pleasure. Day. Yeah, it's you know the galls are real problematic, and if you do decide to take it down and you like oak trees, stay away from like the pen oaks and the red oak group and go with a white oak because the white oaks don't get the gall problem. Okay. All right, thank you very much. Yep, and now let's go to Mike. Could you do it kind of quick, Mike from Oakville? Hey, good morning. I had a question about, it's really about more of a yard pest rodent. I, I haven't seen this before. I, I've seen moles before. This basically, whatever it is, it's coming up from underground, and I mean pushing up a whole mound of dirt, does it in different places, don't feel any trails or anything, and when I go to, like, even stab down into the mounds of dirt, it, it doesn't go down them like, into a hole. I've tried grub X, I've tried mouse traps, I've tried some those little smoke bomb things. I don't I don't know what the heck it is first and what I can do. I don't know if you have any insight on that. Yeah, basically what it is is moles have two different tunnels. The surface tunnel is the one that they use that you see that they find stuff to eat. But also they have a, a secondary tunnel that's about a foot deep. And when they're digging the secondary tunnel, which goes back to their sleeping den and things like that, that's where you see that, that's where the soil is pushed up from the, that point. So it is actually moles. Okay. Okay. So what do, you, what do you recommend is like the, the best thing that I could be doing right now? As far as trapping, uh, to me, the choker loop and Victor Spear traps are the best. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. And then put them on this, you know, the feeder tunnels, the surface tunnels, 
And then if you don't get a, you know, if you don't get a mole trapped within a day or two, then move them and probably put a, you know, put a couple traps out. A single trap by itself probably is not going to work. But yeah, that's what those mounds of dirt is, is that secondary tunnel that they use to go back so they can sleep after they eat. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. That helps a lot. Thank you. Certainly. And we will be taking a break for the news at the top of the hour. So uh, if you have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Appreciate everybody calling in up to this point. And it looks like a spectacular day. Get out and enjoy. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the KMOX Garden Hotline. Tip of the trial hour, which I'll be giving shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And Mr. Kelly. Yo. What are you going to do after you get off today? Uh, nap. Ah. Yeah. And then, let's see, we got Mizzou football this evening. We got hockey this evening. Good Lord. And uh, probably go out and, and play in the yard a little bit and see what's going on. <laughs> the weather's been so nice. Absolutely. And Even so though probably, it's so dry. Yeah, I'm going to water the garden. I'm definitely going to hook up the uh, the sprinkler and let it run for a while until I get an inch. Is that it? An inch? Yes. An, an inch, inch in the bottom every, of the bowl. Yeah, every seven to ten days. Okay. One inch. So I'm going to do that. And just got some stuff to clean up. And, you know, there's always work to do in the yard. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. You know, I don't know how old you are. I don't need to know. I know you're pretty young. But uh, <laughs> what what era of music do you listen to? Uh, you know, right now I'm listening to a lot of more modern blues. Really? Like Joe Bonamassa, Beth Hart. I've always loved Kenny Wayne Shepherd, uh, Tedeschi Trucks, another great blues band, uh, Marcus King. Other than that, I go back to like the 70s and 80s. Mm. Uh, Rush has been my favorite band since high school. Led Zeppelin, that kind of stuff. Wow. Did you ever see Led Zeppelin? Did not. Uh, You did? did? Yeah. I I got to see him in Houston. I was in uh, Shreveport in the Air Force, and a friend of mine said, let's go down because they were going to be at the Astrodome. Really? Yeah. Wow. And actually, it was not, you know, they just put people... On the floor of the Astrodome, they didn't put them up in the seats. So, really? Yeah. That's was, weird. Yeah. Yeah, but I bet that was awesome. They were, to me, if you were to take a picture of what rock and roll should look like, right. it was Led Zeppelin. Right. Yeah, they were awesome. That's why I try to mimic them. You kind of do look like Robert Plant <laughs> a little bit. <clears throat> <laughs> the pants aren't as tight, though. Thank goodness. Yes, really. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Brian. Rock on. Yes, folks. And thanks you. thank you for having me on your show. And we can discuss plant selection, what you can be buying this time of year, what you should not be buying, uh, the ups and downs and all arounds of your annuals. Like the gentleman last hour called, and he thought uh, mums were annuals. And uh, no, 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 mums are perennials. They only turn into annuals when you buy them this time of year, already growing in a pot, and because uh, they can't get established before the cold winter comes. Bulbs, too early to be putting those daffodils and tulips in. Now, with my uh, summer bulbs, I've started to take out some of my cannas, and uh, it's, really, you know, it's really pretty wild. These, uh, I was just absolutely st- struck by how tall my cannas got this year. They were like seven feet plus. But anyway, edibles, ground covers, houseplants, lawns, perennials, roses, tree shrubs, vines, or water gardens. 
I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offer for you to consider. Across the big board, that's James. He's producing. He answers the phone, so just your name, uh, first name only, and where you're calling from is all he needs. During the week and on weekends, I spend time going to people's homes, doing a walk and talk. And today, after the show, it's I'm headed towards Belleville. And uh, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, on the homepage. That's where my email address and phone number are listed. I come to your home and share 40-plus years of experience and to talk about various aspects of plant care, you know, make some changes. I don't, I do not do formal designs anymore. I'm too old. At 71, it's just I never wanted any help when I did the designs. I always was on the sites completely all myself, and it just got to be too much for me. Anyway, the tip of the trial is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Native Trees partnership with spire this is forest relief plants 900 trees statewide in partnership with spire you know who spire is right laclede gas so forest relief of missouri and spire will plant 900 native trees across missouri this fall to provide environmentally benefits help residents save money and energy and recover from recent tornadoes and severe storms. So they're kind of concentrating a lot of these trees in the Kansas City, Joplin, Carl Junction, and St. Peter's Park and you know, public areas and corridors and neighborhoods. And also, you know, when Spire comes in, they're doing a whole lot of work here in the city. And they, they've got a trench down to get to the gas lines. And they do cut a heck of a lot of tree roots when they do that cutting down. So, you, you know, the fact that they're trying to help with the trees... I think that's a great plus on the part of them. So, again, Forest Relief, 314-452-4268, or you can go mperkins at moreleaf.org. So, Forest Relief of Missouri. So, they get the tip of the trial today. And let's see if we can get a call in before we take a break. Let's go to Tom, and Tom lives in the city of St. Louis. Hi, Tom. Hi. How are you this morning? Very good. Uh, I've got two questions. First, uh, I bought some weed and feed fertilizer, some some winterizer type fertilizer to use on my fescue lawn in the backyard. And I'm wondering if I can also use it on my zoysia on the front yard uh, because I do have some weeds out there and I'd like to get rid of them. I would not be putting any kind of fertilizer on zoysia this time of year. Okay. You could force that's, it that's, to keep growing into the cold weather, and then if we get a really severe cold snap, it could kill it because it's not going to be shutting down. Okay, that's what I needed to know. Now, the other question is, I uh, we just planted a hawthorn tree in the backyard, and I've got a five-gallon bucket that I drilled a couple of holes in that I use for watering, and I'm wondering how often should I do that? Well, probably for at least the first couple, you know, two weeks or so, you should go out there and just water every day, you know, make sure the root system gets, you know, is kept damp. And then after that, then probably maybe every seven to 10 days, you know, you can take your five gallon bucket out there, fill it up with water and just let it run out of the holes. That's what I'm assuming you're doing. That's what I'm doing. Right. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah, hawthorns don't need a whole lot of water, but anything that's being recently installed, it should be watered every day. 
uh, to you know to keep it from getting dehydrated, especially with the screwy weather that we're having right now. Let's go out to St. Charles in the Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Yeah, Dave, I got a question about grass plants. I'd like to relocate one today, and is it okay to do it this time of the year? Are we talking about ornamental grasses? Yes, sir. Yeah, go ahead and dig it up, but uh, you have the spot ready to go. It's going to be in full sun, I'm assuming, and dig up the whole clump. Now, if it's like a maiden-type grass, when you dig it up, the center is going to be dead, and you're only going to have actual blades on the perimeter. So if you get it done really quickly, you can do it. If you wait too much longer, it's going to be too late, and it might not be able to survive the wintertime. Fantastic. Thank you. Yep. Bye-bye. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. Tell you what, folks, those cool season annual weeds, they were the ones that germinated last uh, mid to late August. They're really starting to show up. I'm starting to see some henbit and some chickweed both in various locations. It's very small, but you can see that you know, the seeds survived. No, uh, let's say, pre-emergent was put down or anything else. So they are going to be you know, more and more robust as the season gets cooler and cooler. And they don't care how cold it gets because they are cool season weeds. So it's like the henbit, the chickweed, the uh, annual bluegrass the speed wells, and a few other things as well, as opposed to the warm season weeds, and they're headed downhill. The spurges, you can see them, they're turning red because of the weather's getting cool. So in other words, they're warm season, and when it starts getting cool, they go, ooh, and they head downhill into Sleepy Town, actually dropping seeds the whole time, and that's what's going to be coming back next year. Uh, let's see. Why don't we go to Winfield and in the Aaron's yard. Hi, Aaron. Hi. Um, I have been told I have a patch of nuts edge in my yard, and I wanted to know what I can do now in order to set me up for spring planting. Uh, basically, there's nothing you can do this late. Um, obviously, you don't want to put an herbicide down. It's not going to help all that much. And uh, personally, I always say sometimes, depending upon how mature the actual nutgrass plant is, you pull it up, and actually there's nutlets on the end of the root system, and you could actually have more. But if they're still relatively small, you can give it a try and just pull some of them up and just, you know, see if you can get, let's say, reduce the population that way. I think it, right now they're about four inches high, and it's about a six-by-six six patch. Yeah, uh, just feel the stem, and if the stem, it's going to be a triangular stem as it goes into the ground. If it's still relatively small, you know, it's hard to say what size. But you could go ahead and just try pulling some of it out and see what happens. So if I were to dig it up, and then would that be all right, too? Just dig up that whole patch? Yeah. And just okay. you know, shake the grass and just take a look at it. When you first dig it up, just dig it up. Probably the root systems are only going to be about a, oh, maybe between a half and a, an inch and a half deep, so at least go down that far. So, in other words, you're going to be cutting it up like you were cutting a piece of sod, and then flip it upside down and see if there's any black nutlets on the end of the white, very white root systems. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yep. And now let's go to Clayton and see what's going on with Jan. Hi, Jan. 
Hi, Mike. Uh, you came out last year on uh, one of your visits, and you helped us uh, terrifically with a problem, and it was that in our backyard, we were having trouble uh, growing grass. Uh, it was sparse, I would say. And your solution, which worked beautifully this spring, was to uh, sow a Dutch clover. And that worked really, really well. Now, the problem I've got now is that over the summer, the creeping Charlie and then one of those other weeds that you may be talking about, it's kind of this thing with the little pink uh, uh, blooms on it. I don't know which one that is. But in any event, those weeds have taken over and have uh, uh, really edged the clover out of the lawn. So, So what do I do? Well, I'm surprised because the clover is a perennial type weed. I mean, perennial type plant. So, I, I I can't see the weeds being, you know, knocking the the Dutch white clover out. Yeah, the creeping Charlie is just absolutely. It's like the Third World War out there, and the creeping Charlie is uh, uh, winning. So, I, my my problem is, I thought if I put weed killer on the creeping Charlie, then I also wipe out the clover. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So. Okay. Uh, so- you know that's gonna that's kind of a tough one. I would say just continue to overseed with uh, the Dutch white clover and try to get the clover established enough where it's going to actually drive the weeds out. Good, that's what I thought. I, and do I overseed now and then again in the spring? Uh, I would probably. Uh, it's getting a little bit late because the ground temperature is what triggers the seed germination, and it may be, you know, it's going to get cooler and cooler. And even if it does germinate, it's not going to get its root system established enough. To, and if we have a really severe cold snap early on, it's going to kind of wipe it out. Yeah. So uh, when should I start the the uh, seeding in the spring? Uh, again, I, I would probably, if you're going to do it right, go to your favorite garden center, get a soil thermometer. And then in the springtime, when the soil temperature, you use the thermometer, you push it into the ground. When you start to see the soil temperature get above 50 then you can put the seed down at that time. All right. That's when we'll keep overseeding with that Dutch clover. Right. That's wonderful. Uh, we've got dogs out there, and uh, we've got wonderful lawn. By the way, let me put in a plug for your visits. Uh, you were just uh, terrific. And uh, you're, you're wonderful. Your recommendations were great. And, in fact, you looked at all our gardens, and you said, how does one person do this? So that made me feel good. Oh, great. <laughs> thank you, Mike. Well, thank you. Take care. And uh, the check will be in the mail. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's head over to Holly's yard in Chesterfield. Hi, Holly. Hi there. Hey, I've got a couple of questions. I heard this gentleman calling about mums. I planted some seeds uh, in the spring, and uh, uh, they grew, and so I repotted them uh, outside my fence. And the darn plant is about five feet tall. And I've got it tied up in two places because it was so heavy. Uh, can I cut that down to, like, the ground and, and hope that it'll come back next year? Yeah, you could. I never heard of a mum from seed going to five feet high. Are you sure these are mums? Well, I, see, I didn't. I got the packet. Somebody just whipped the packet in my hand, and I planted it. Oh. And they look like mums. The bees sure love them. Um, I think they're mums. They look like mums. They could be something else, but I've never seen anything grow like this before. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be some kind of annual, you know, 
you know, in the sunflower family. So it's not going to be a mum because mums, first of all, they're growing from seeds, really, really super difficult. And second of all, they're never going to get that big. So this is probably some kind of annual sunflower family member. Which one? Who knows exactly what it is? So I would say don't necessarily worry too much about it as far as it's going to be coming back because it is an annual just go ahead and, you know, when every, when it's finished blooming, just cut the stems off entirely and then kind of keep your fingers crossed that it's dropped some seed and uh, the seed will come back next year. Okay. My second question is I planted uh, some new knockout miniature, I use that word very carelessly, uh, roses in my patio. And I'm very anal about cutting back the, the deads and watching the new blooms come. These miniature roses are now about, each of them, and I have five of them, are about five feet tall. Uh, And I was thinking maybe I should be starting to cut them down about maybe three or four inches uh, just to stop the legginess of them because I'm afraid that the winter, any any kind of snow is going to just hang them down. And I've got them all tied up uh, because they are so heavy with blooms. I would say don't, you know, if these are knockout roses or shrub-type roses, don't do any pruning at all. Uh, basically let the rose hips form and then do the pruning in the springtime before the new growth begins. Okay, and one other question. When are these wonderful little moles going to stop moving around? Uh, basically they don't stop until the ground is so cold that the earthworms are no longer moving. So that's what drives them in the direction they tunnel to is they hear earthworms. And once the earthworms, because it's so cold, don't move, then they stop and they can more or less do a hibernation themselves. So I should just keep following them and giving them my little worms? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Poison worms. Yep. Right. Yep. And they do a great job, by right. the way. Yep. That's what uh, you need to do. Because I've used a whole box of them this year. Wow. Great. Uh, yeah, I've just got I've got worms all over the place, I guess. But anyway, okay. And another thing, um, I've always been of the idea that in the fall, and we've had a pretty dry f- fall so far, or late late summer. Right. That when I water, I've been trying to water around the foundation also as I water my plants. Is that not a good idea? I don't know why not. If you got plant material there. Well, we in this complex have had uh, a lot of problems with uh, cracking foundations, and our people don't water very often if they water at all. And we found and had a suggestion from a contractor that really if you can water your foundation as you water your plants, you're better off to mm. keep that that drying and that the, 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 the foundation um, dirt getting hard, and then it freezes, and then you've got cracking foundations. I've never heard of that, and uh, I don't know. I would say call Scott Mosby the home improvement, but I've never heard of watering your foundation to keep it from cracking. Okay. All righty. Well, thank you very much, and you have a great day. Sure, you do the same thing. Let's get another call in before break. Let's go to Jean's, and she lives in Winsville. Hello. Hi. Um, I have two um, evergreen trees planted by my front porch on each side of the sidewalk. They're getting too large. Can I trim them now? 
I would not, you know, pruning going into wintertime is not advisable, especially with evergreens, because you're going to start exposing some of the tips that at one time they were fully exposed, but now there's been growth that you're going to be cutting off. Then you could get some severe damage due to the wintertime. So I would wait until we come out of wintertime and prune them at that time. Prune them in the springtime. Yeah, early spring, sometime after Valentine's Day. Okay, thank you so much. Enjoy your program. Yeah, my pleasure. So thank you. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. News Radio 1120, KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. Let's stay in the city of St. Louis and go into Angela's yard. Hi, Angela. Hi. Yes. Hi hi there. I have um, actually three questions. I think a couple of them will be pretty quick. Um, The first is I purchased and had planted a green weeping Japanese maple, um, and it was planted right at about a month ago. So we've had, I think, one day of rain since it's been in the ground. Um, I did purchase it from a, a nursery, so they, you know, have guaranteed the tree for a year. But I noticed when I bought it and the, uh, you know, when they sold it to me, they said it would be a lot happier once it got out of its pot. Um, but I've noticed in, that there are, continue to be like little dark brown spots on many of the leaves. Um, a few leaves have totally shriveled and died, not many. Um, so I'm just wondering if there's, and I do water it, uh, for the first week I watered it twice a day. Um, and since then I've watered it at least once a day for a solid, you know, 45 minutes. Um, I'm just wondering if there's anything else I should look for and or do. No, just, you know, don't worry about it. Okay. So. All right. This is just a natural occurrence and, uh, you know, Installed, you're doing everything you can as far as to try to get the root system established. That's the most important thing. What's showing up on the leaves right now, it doesn't matter. It's not going to make any difference. Just uh, in case, uh, you know, not knowing exactly what it is without seeing it, uh, just if the leaves fall onto the ground, just, you know, rake them up, pick them up. Don't just leave them lay underneath the tree. Okay. Okay. All right. And then my next, um, so while uh, this, you know, landscaping company was here. The real reason I had them come was because I had a volunteer sweet gum tree um, that started to, you know, take off rapidly um, at the, it was growing right next to a drain pipe and right up against the foundation. Mm. So it was, yeah, (laughs) Um, it was, um, and it was unfortunately, you know, I really didn't pay a whole lot of attention until I started seeing like, branches out of my bathroom window and I'm like, well, that's never been there before. Um, so, so anyway, like a month ago they came and it's too, it was too close for them to actually excavate it. So they, you know, took it down to the ground. Um, super people, they, they recommended putting Roundup, which I just couldn't do. Um, I, I, I don't know if that's, you know, still widely recommended, but anyway, I asked around with some other, um, you know, homeowners and one person suggested drilling holes and putting rock salt into the stump and then um, also putting rock salt in the surrounding dirt area. And I'm just wondering if, so, so I went ahead and did that because I thought, well, there's really 
very little harm in that. It's just salting the earth. Um, but I'm just wondering, like, how effective or if you have any other suggested remedies to make sure it, or to try to stop it from regrowing um, because they told me it could come back. I would say just, you know, go out there with like a chisel and a hammer and split the trunk <laughs> as much as you possibly can and let some okay. moisture, let some rain get in there and cause some like heartwood rot. And putting rock okay. salt around the base of the, on the outside of the trunk is not going to do a darn thing. Because the feeder roots are not there, it's not going to, you know, it's not going to make much difference. How big was this trunk? So, diameter, diameter yeah, probably, I don't know, maybe six inches. Good Lord, that's big. Yeah, so. yeah it it grew quickly, I yeah. have to say. Um, so you, you've and, done everything you possibly can except go out there with a hatchet or something and just start to, every time you've, you're feeling angry or feeling whatever, <laughs> go out there and just flail on it a little bit. Okay. Okay. All right. And then last um, is I have um, a hydrangea bush. Um, I love it. Um, it was, you know, just planted by us as homeowners probably eight years ago. This year... It, and I did water pretty well through the beginning of the summer, um, but it had it got the tallest it's ever gotten, but it had very few blooms, um, not zero, but what I would consider to be far less than years past. Um, and I was just wondering, you know, is there something I, I probably didn't prune as well, um, if there's something I should do in as we go into the off season no just mulch it you know three or four inches of mulch to help you know sort of buffer any kind of extreme colds we get and just leave it alone and after that then next year when we come out of winter time go ahead and start doing some uh, fertilizing oh, okay okay and are you supposed to cut them back like uh, i think you know we have more hydrangea questions than we have on anything else. I think people should just leave them alone. Okay. Okay. That sounds easy. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time and for this great service. Yeah, my pleasure. And now let's go to Belleville. Marilyn, how are you? Good morning, Mike. Hi. Thank you very much. Thank you for your program. I have some volunteer little evergreen trees that have come up in different parts of my flower beds. I would like to know, can I transplant those in another part of my yard, and will they grow, and could I transplant them now? Uh, basically, let me tell you a quick story. We okay. have you know power lines above us, and we have junipers in the neighborhood and some pines and things like that. The birds eat the berries on the junipers. Then they sit on the power lines or phone lines, go to the bathroom, and drops down to the bed spaces. What I do is every fall, I've already done this, is I dig them up out of the bed spaces, put them in window boxes, and then I put the window boxes in our windows on the outside. So, you know, when we look out our windows, we're seeing evergreens grow. So if you wanted, if you can get it done pretty quickly, you can go out there and dig them up right now and move them. Move, put them in a pot, though. I would, there is a place in my yard I could use one. Well, you, so could, try, you could try putting, you know, just directly putting it into the ground. But ideally, since they're really small, I would put it in a pot, and this that spot where you're going to grow it is just dig a hole in and drop the pot down into the hole. Oh, okay. I can do that now, then. Yes. If you get it done quickly, you can still bare root them. I mean, I just did it the 
probably two, maybe 10 days ago or so. And okay. uh, mine looked really good. I probably put about eight or 10 into a window box and they all look uh, very healthy. Okay. So you're saying put it in a pot and then put it in the ground where I eventually do want it planted. Exactly. That way it's just the, you know, and use a potting mix. Don't use regular dirt. And that's going to be right. the better way for the thing to get, you know, get going. So do I leave it in the pot then like next year? Yeah. You could leave it in there for a year or two if you want to, or next right. spring, you know, when things start warming up, um, yeah. after the Ides of March, then go ahead and plant it into the ground. Okay. Thank you very much for your information. It's been helpful. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go to Florissant. We haven't been there all day long. Into Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hi. Um, I just recently had my yard aerated, and I noticed on both sides of my driveway, the grass is, was dead, so they put some seed in there. And I know the grass is so hard that I'm afraid I washed a lot of the seed away. And I would like to put a little bit more in, but I need such a small amount. What can you recommend? Or It's not too late, I know, but I just need a small amount, and I don't know what kind of seed to get. We've got cool weather lawn. Yeah, I would say it's almost too late to be putting seed down to get it to germinate because we don't know what the weather's going to be like. And the, the strips along driveways and sidewalks and things like that, it just heats up too much in the summertime, and that's why you can't get really successful grass growing there. So okay. you, you could go ahead and get some seed if you want to, and uh, just go to your favorite garden center, whatever kind of seed they have, just, you know, unless you're, they probably have some fescues and some bluegrasses, but just realize you're going to have to rake the area so the seed actually is going to come in contact with the ground, not just lay on top of whatever there happens to be there. And then uh, get some seed, you know, some winterizer type fertilizer, seed starter winterizer. Okay. And how often could you just keep it damp for like a week or so? Yeah, probably two weeks or so. You're going to see it okay. probably germinate and start growing within about you know 10 days but again it's going to be it's all determined by soil temperatures and the soil temperatures are starting to get cool and cool and cooler okay perfect all right thank you sure mike miller kmos garden hotline back after these messages welcome back to the st louis composting garden hotline once again mike miller on kmox yes back to the phones we go and we're headed to jerseyville and that's where bob lives hi bob Morning, Mike. Hi. Um, last week I called uh, regarding um, this invasive weeds or grass I had in my yard, and uh, you guessed that it might be Bermuda grass. And so further investigation, what it ends up is it's nimble will. And in investigating how to control it, I ran across uh, a product called Tenacity, which they said to use with a non-ionic surfactant and that that might help control it. I want to know your opinion on that. And I also want to know if pre-emergence would help to kill this stuff. Cause what's happened is I've, I've got two neighbors who seem to like this stuff because their yards are full of it. And I'm starting to be touched by it a little. Uh, you know, it could you know, controlling wise. Who d- gave you the information as far as controlling? The information I got was online. Oh, the last the last I looked was Purdue University. I was just looking at it this morning. Right. 
And uh, then they said it had to be mixed with surfactant, which I was wondering, would it be good to put surfactant in when you're using anything like we be gone or whatever? It it certainly doesn't hurt. It's a lot of times it's not necessary. So you're just adding cost to the thing. So I would say go ahead and give it a try and see what happens. Well, what would be your recommendation otherwise? I would I say, to be honest with you, it, it sounds like you're going to be battling the people around you. So I don't want to say embrace it, but, uh, I mean, there's not too uh, not too much you're going to be able to do because the spots where, you get, let's say, you do get it killed off, to get something back established in that spot is going to be a lot of work in and of itself. Well, I wouldn't want it to take over my fescue yard, would I? No, is probably it? not, but, I mean... A lot of times, destiny's beyond our control. So you could go ahead and you know give it a shot and see what you think after you know one or two applications. See you know see what the end result is. Okay, and then have you ever have you ever heard of using like a, a blue dye when doing spot spraying to identify where you sprayed? Well, you could do that. I mean, they sell that for yards in particular. I don't right. think you've ever done that. I've never done it myself. We did some when I worked at the Botanical Garden. Some of the spots, some of the locations were doing that because, uh, you know, like you're saying, you spot treatment at various places so you don't go back and double treat or triple treat one spot. But, exactly. yeah, go ahead and do it. Okay. So you think I'm basically, there's no chance for me? <laughs> no, I do. Yeah, this stuff I, out? yeah <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks for the thanks for the encouragement here. Right. <laughs> well, good luck. Right. I mean, you can try it and see what happens and see what you think. If it works, I'll call you and tell you next year. Sounds perfect. But but a, but a pre-emergence won't help it, right? No, it won't prevent it. No, it won't. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yep. And Jan in Brentwood, how are you? Fine. Fine. Hi, Mike. Um, I have a question about, um, we've got about six knockout roses in the front of the house that has that mini thorns disease, Ooh. whatever you call, you know what I mean? The yeah. roses were rubber. Anyway, we want to take those out and replace it with the hydrangeas. Uh, when would be the best time to take those out? And do we wait a while before we put the hydrangeas in or what, what, what's the plan there? Basically, you can just get them out as soon as you can, and if the hydrangeas are available during at the garden centers, you can go ahead and plant right afterwards because what impacts the rose rosette is what you have is not going to impact the hydrangeas. Okay, but we don't have to prepare the soil anyway in well, between I would. the two? Yeah, of course. When you take something out, you should add a couple inches of compost, blend it with the existing soil, and you, know, you might want to wait and plant in the springtime. Just see what kind of weeds may come up. Get all those under control. Okay. And also on our uh, tomato plants, when we go out there, there's a bunch of those white, mat, um, you know, teeny, teeny mats right. that are around there. Is there anything that can be done about that? Uh, insecticidal soap. But uh, this late in the season, I wouldn't even bother. Okay. 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 Good deal. And when's the most available? I mean, when when uh, the hydrangeas, when are they more readily available? Probably like you're looking at... Yeah, it depends upon what garden center you're talking about. But usually the stuff starts arriving in mid to late you know, February through early March and mid-March. So by the time April 1st comes around, they should be fully stocked. Okay, and will they bloom then uh, in, the, in that current year? Well, they should, depending upon the variety and everything else. But usually the production nurseries kind of give them a little bit of boost, which, you know, that's kind of a selling point. 
So they, you can buy them in flour, blah, blah, blah. But, yes, they should. Okay. All right. Thanks, Mike. Yep. Thanks for your show. Yeah, my pleasure. And it looks like we're about out of time. I want to re- reemphasize the fact that the ground is really, really super dry. And uh, get out there and get it watered. I don't care if they're talking about rain because we don't know talk. It's just simply talk. Get the ground softened. In case it rains, it's going to be to the advantage. So sorry, Lori, Eric, and Mike, and George. We're not able to get to you today. But uh, everybody just get out and enjoy. I mean, it's maybe the last warmer day than you know than what we've had. So <sighs> the summer's over. We're into the fall. And we'll see what happens. And I hope fall turns into be a good one as far as aesthetics. But who knows? Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after, no, next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.